This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the Deal. deal. Listen to the deal. Listen to the deal on Spotify. Patsy Deference is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. So after one of the greatest wins of the post-Tom Brady era, the first signature win for Mac Jones as an NFL starting quarterback, and only the third game in Patriots franchise history to be decided and won by a go-ahead touchdown pass in the last 15 seconds, we must start, ladies and gentlemen, in the only place, in the obvious place, here on Pat's Interference, brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering part of the CLNS Media Network. And that time and place is September 2011, Stores, Connecticut. I was a junior at UConn, uh, working at the student newspaper, handed my first column. Buddy, every Thursday there's going to be your picture, your name, and you got to fill the space down below to talk about whatever you want to talk about. In deciding about what my first column was going to be about, I decided, hey, I'll just write what sports are about. I had been inspired by a quote from Vince Scully. I think he gave it to Sports Illustrated, who had answered that very question for himself. And his answer came down to three words, dreams and escape. And in reading these profound words from Vince Scully, you know, now since passed away, but then and, and still Hall of Fame broadcaster, voice of baseball, I said Vince Scully. You're wrong because I, Andrew Callahan, 1920, whatever it was at the time, know better than that and wrote about all the different things that sports meant. It's about, you know, metaphor and uh, teachings for teamwork. They're multi-billion dollar businesses. They build up economies, bring people together, joy, all this different stuff. I wrote about it. And the year since then, and gaining a lot of experience and losing a lot of hair, I've looked back in that column and thought about Vin's words. And after a game like Sunday's, where Mac Jones, as I mentioned, gets his first signature win, his second fourth quarter comeback, and first touchdown drive, first game-winning touchdown drive of his career. As we get through this slog of a season, hell yes, Vince Scully, it is dreams and escape. I was wrong. He was right. Because even if we're escaping the season, and I stand by this from the last couple of episodes, where I'm saying it's basically lost, this is about the future, and that sucks. People got to escape for a little while from that. And you got to dream not only of what could be possible if this offense gets together and a little sneak peek here. I have a five part breakdown of exactly how the Patriots found that identity and why they can make that um, the same identity moving forward. But you got to dream about what it was like 20 years ago. I mean, Mike Vrabel's in the house. He's giving a, a speech at his induction ceremony on Saturday. He comes to the podium on Sunday. The head coach of the Tennessee Titans says we have to win this game, speaking to a crowd of Patriots fans, and then tells them to enjoy it because this place, Vrabel said, was special. And what followed was a game straight out of the early 2000s, straight out of Vrabel's prime, whether it was a fast start with a turnover, good special teams play with a clutch finish. I talked to players in the locker room who would know, Jonathan Knowns, 
David Andrews, even Jabril Peppers, who wasn't here, obviously, at the end of the dynasty, they all said that's old school Patriots football. And when you think about what the Patriots are right now, it has to start with two and five. Okay, one upset win over the Bills does not outweigh 34 to nothing and 38 to three combined. That tells the story of this team much more than last Sunday did. But for a time, you get to let that go, man. You get a little pep in your step. And even on the media side, things are clearer for a little bit. They're less predictable. Now, again, I'm not invested in the win or loss, but that was a hell of a lot more interesting than the football we had been watching, right? And so it is just a reminder that, again, even if you're escaping from the, the same sport that you're watching, the same team, the same players, a win like that just really changes your week. And I felt in the locker room talking to guys after the game, you saw in the press conference where Bill is still cracking jokes like he was Saturday at the induction ceremony for Dante Skarniecki and Vrabel. And it's just a little different. And yeah, the Patriots are very rightfully you know, 10 and a half point underdogs going into Miami this weekend. And things still look pretty bleak. But I'll be damned if dreams and escape, even for folks in the media side, didn't feel good after that win. So today, no therapy couch, no complaints in the mailbag, all positivity, baby. Let's do this. Uh, as I mentioned, five-part breakdown, and you can find this with a lot more uh, play breakdowns and personnel numbers and stats and trends and yada, yada, yada on the bostonherald.com. Tell you exactly what Bill O'Brien did and Mac Jones did to get this offense to a season high 29 points, we'll have the good, we'll have the bad, we will have what would NFL film say, give out a couple of game balls, and I'm going to give you my thoughts on Bill Pelagic's, uh reported new contract, multi-year lucrative something that was reported Sunday morning by in report of the NFL Network, since had some not really clarifications, he just kind of repeated his points today, Adam Schefter discussed it, and I have my own thoughts, and then we'll get out of here with the mailbag. But all good stuff, enjoy this, okay? So let's do this together. As for that five-part breakdown, again, this is what changed for the Patriots. This is why this offense, over the last two weeks, believe it or not, is a top-five offense according to EPA per play. Now, granted, that speaks to two things, one of which arbitrary cutoffs, like, you know, oh, in the last, you know, X amount of games, X amount of weeks, this matters. Um, small sample size, still dangerous, because you go back three weeks, not two now. Patriots are 31st by EPA per play. But over the last two weeks, this is a legit offense, okay? And this is how it happened. Number one, the offensive line. Stabilize. Mike Onwenu goes to right tackle. He had not played there since 2021. He allowed one hurry. And the Patriots running game posted a 50% success rate, meaning they were staying on schedule. First down 10, you're getting at least four yards. Second down and 10, you're getting at least 60 yards. Third and fourth down, you're getting 100%. They did that half the time, and that was tied for the second highest mark of any offense in week seven. And when you go over the last three weeks, yeah, the Patriots are ranked second worst offense in the league, 34 to nothing. A lot of turnovers is, is going to drag those numbers down. But their running game ranks ninth in success rate. And as we talked about before, a running game is about the offensive line performance and defensive box count. Okay. So when the offensive line starts to come around, the numbers for the running backs are going to look better than they did on Sunday. Part two was not only just Mike on one who's playing right tackle, and we're going to get a little bit more into that a little bit later. It was the guys behind him were zipping around. The Patriots entered Sunday, according to ESPN, ranked 24th in motion used at the snap. So the ball is snapped and guys are going across the line of scrimmage. You see Miami do this all the time. You see San Francisco do this all the time. Okay. The Patriots were doing this 14% of the time. Well, against the Bills, Bill O'Brien almost doubled that at 24% of their snaps. And that added eye candy is what you call it. Stress the Buffalo defense at A. We talked about this in the preview pod. Uh, tackles like crap. 
B, as a really green and young and stinky linebacking core. So they're looking one way while the ball goes the other. And you saw this in the first handoff where this wasn't even motion at the snap. This was just Kendrick Bourne running behind the quarterback. It's kind of like that half circle motion. They call it orbit motion. Well, Mac Jones is giving a handoff to Ramondre Stevenson. And the nearest linebacker, Stevenson, just lets him go right by because he's looking at Bourne thinking it's an end around. And it wasn't. So that motion stresses a team like Buffalo in a special kind of way, but it's a good idea generally. And the Patriots on those snaps, not even the one I just mentioned, but whenever they snapped the ball and someone was in motion, they averaged 10.6 yards per play. And I mentioned Miami and San Francisco. Okay. They are the two highest scoring offenses in the league. You know where they rank in motion at the snap first and third respectively. Okay. Better offensive line, more motion. Part three, a lot more RPOs. Mac Jones gave this away when he spoke to Evan Washburn right after the game. He asked, how did you turn the offense around? And he said it was Bill O'Brien. And he said Bill O'Brien let him run a lot more stuff that he used to do at Alabama. And frankly, look, we, we've we've been hearing about this for three months, right? Like ever since O'Brien got here, he's going to meld that stuff with what the Patriots have done as a base offense. Hasn't really worked out. Well, you can tell it did on these RPOs. Five of their first 11 snaps were run pass option. Jones, of course, feasted on these at Alabama, throwing to first round picks, second round picks all over the place. But those RPOs, which yielded a fast start, Patriots get up 3-0 and then 10-0 off of Jabril Peppers' interception, 8.2 yards per play. So again, whenever they were in motion, first to fourth quarter, 10.6 yards per play. When they were running RPOs early, 8.2 yards per play. And what these also did was mitigated the Patriots' issues in pass protection because, yeah, it was better Sunday. And it wasn't just the offensive line. It was Mac Jones getting the ball out. So we're going to hit on him in a second. But their pass protection is still six worst in the league, according to Pro Football Focus. And yet when you call these RPOs, Mac's got to get rid of the ball either way. And he did that, either handing it off or throwing it in the flat or sometimes in a little inbreaker. And those were huge. Part number four, uh, quick passing game. I mentioned Mac got rid of the ball really quickly. Second straight week, he had the fastest average Snap to throw time in the entire league. So the ball gets snapped. Start your stopwatch. He lets go of the ball. Hit the stopwatch again. 2.2 seconds is what Mac Jones had this week. So he's getting rid of the ball in a way that protects him from the league's best pass rush, according to me, according to Bill Belichick, according to Mac Jones. Okay. And in that time, it's not that he's just getting rid of the ball, you know, throwing it at somebody's feet or a throwaway or reminder Stevenson, even on check down. He was throwing it to Kendrick Bourne. And <laughs> it finally happened. Op Douglas. Demario Douglas played a season-high 37 offensive snaps. It could still go way more. Kendrick Bourne, meanwhile, played more than any other skill position player by almost 15 snaps. Okay, he's again in the 90s in terms of percentage of offensive snaps played. He had a team-high seven targets. Bourne did. Okay. Demario Douglas had six. He had four catches. Okay. And together, along with a couple other players, they were able to separate in a way we have not seen a whole lot from this Patriots receiving core. To that point, Mack against man coverage, seven of eight, 77 yards, and two touchdowns for what was a major, major weakness, not just for him, but the receiving core. And the fact that they are uncovered that quickly and consistently and in a manner in which fit the timing of the play. Again, 2.2 seconds on average for Mac Jones whenever he dropped back, getting rid of the ball was absolutely massive. And that eliminates, again, a lot of the issues up front which were better, but you want to know why the pressure rate was only 21%, which it was. It was a lot to do that quick passing game. Second straight week again that Mac has led in that department the entire league. And that's where the Patriots need and have to live. 
All right, part five, last one. Explosive plays, baby. Uh, Demario Douglas, of course, is you know the, the most glaring example of this. Shockingly, right behind him is Farrell Brown, uh, who just, for whatever reason, whenever he touches the ball, this is like the Midas of explosive plays. There he goes down the seam, rumbling away. No one can tackle, tackle Farrell Brown. But... You, know, you can't rely on Farrell Brown for a whole season for your explosive plays. And you can play DeMario Douglas more, as we've advocated in this space and I have in the Herald for weeks. And so that helped. But what really helped the most here against the league's best pass rush and one of its better defenses was really well-timed play calls from Bill O'Brien. Okay, I knocked him last week for a pass rate that was too high on first down. This week it was perfect. And specifically the play-action plays. Mack hit passes of 16 25 and 26 yards off of play action. Those last two count as explosive plays. He also had a jet sweep handoff to Demario Douglas for 20 yards. That's an explosive play on the ground. Kendrick Bourne took a shallow cross for 33. And Ramondre Stevenson had the last one. You remember it. It was a swing pass off into the flat, goes up the field for 34 yards. Now, the Patriots throw a lot of swing passes. But the reason that coaching gets credit for this and the timing of those play action pass calls is because O'Brien did a really, really good job even on the second drive, they're about midfield. It's a little bubble screen RPO to Demario Douglas. Same thing with the, the screen pass. He disguised it through new formations in different kind of motions. So the Bills know, hey, when Stevenson's to the right of Mack in shotgun, and they're on the left hash, meaning there's a lot of space over to the right, and Stevenson's on Mack's right, they're probably, there's a good chance they're going to throw that swing pass. Or whenever Demario Douglas is aligned behind some other receivers or a tight end split out wide, there's a good chance he's going to get a bubble screen. But when you arrive at that place last minute where Demario Douglas is in motion from left to right, oh, there's an extra blocker. Wait, maybe this could be a swing pass. Maybe the ball's already out. Or Demario Douglas is standing next to the line of scrimmage, like it's going to be in a tight formation, like a run play, maybe a deep shot. And instead, you have Mike Kosicki arc release meaning instead of just blocking someone right in front of you, you take a step around him and then go upfield, and then you get into the bubble screen. Buffalo's caught off guard because you're doing this out of different looks and different timing, and that's what helped the Patriots get these big chunk plays or even just get a first down. And so this was not only just playing to your player's strength. This was an excellent game plan in disguise by O'Brien to take the same old concepts and new packaging to get the explosive plays. Patriots had six explosive plays almost all due to scheme. And that was a most in the season by far. 11% of their plays were explosive. That'll get it done most weeks, and it did on Sunday. So that's a breakdown for the offense. We're going to go to the good, the bad, game balls. What would NFL film say? Belichick's contract. And snap into NFL action this season with America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $200. That's two zero zero in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. So if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, you hear me make these ad reads and hopefully don't fast forward. Get your money and get into the action right now. The app is easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders. I hit the under for Patriots Dolphins. I just had the wrong team winning uh, and lots more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. $200 in bonus bets with just your first $5 bet. Must be 21-year-older and present in Massachusetts. Hope is here. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit is required. Bonus is issued as a non-withdrawable bonus bet. It expires seven days after receipt. Restrictions to apply. Please see terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. 
gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. Uh, the good. I mean, it's basically all the stuff I talked about for O'Brien. So let's hone in on Mac Jones. I gave you his numbers against man. Again, the, this was this was huge. Seven of eight, 77 yards, two touchdowns against pressure. We, we talked about this ad nauseum. He was really good against pressure. He didn't see it a whole lot. But when he did, 4-4, 36 yards, touchdown, two four-yard scrambles in a sack. Perfect. Don't screw it up. He only had one play where he risked a turnover. He'll take that every single week. This is a quarterback not only you can win with, but drove winning, obviously, at the end. That's what you want out of Mac Jones. This was the quarterback you expected. One more number for you. A couple of numbers, stat line, whatever. Against the Blitz, 8 of 9, 117 yards, and one four-yard scramble. That is a guy who played well under pressure in the moment and in the face of pressure from the defense. He could not be shook, and hats off to him. Uh, DeMario Douglas, I already mentioned, six targets, four catches, 54 yards, three penalty flags drawn in coverage. I don't know the last time I'd seen that. Uh, if you have, it's probably a Devontae Adams or a Justin Jefferson or a Stephon Diggs, but the Bills couldn't handle this dude, and the Patriots knew it. And I, again, I've been advocating for more snaps for him for a while, so have a lot of other people in media. I don't know why they don't you know, just basically give him starter reps right from the get-go. He started on Sunday. Uh, and there are mistakes. He had another one, third and two, end of the first half. Mac is looking at him to sit down, and instead he runs a whip or pivot or jerk route and bounces out into the leverage of the defender. Can't do that. So Mac basically eats it, throws the ball down, uh, trying to control what would have been possibly an interception, and throws it into the ground. Again, you just have to live with those. But when he's getting a first down on more than half of his targets, not even touches, because of penalties or catches, or a jet sweep, that's a guy you need on the field. Jabril Peppers. Uh, I talked to him after the game. Just awesome dude, first of all. He got a, a little, I don't want to say cameo, it's not a cameo, but he got a good chunk of time in the Patriots post-victory videos. They posted Twitter inside the locker room, breakdown, Slate, Slater, yada, yada. He was chatting with me about how he knew that interception was coming. It was because on that first play from scrimmage from Buffalo, the Bills had Gabriel Davis, who was out wide, trot in from the sideline, which typically looks like a crack block. You know, he's going to come in and hit the defensive end where he doesn't see it. But Peppers looked at that and said, okay, they hurt us a lot with this play last year where it looked like it was going to be a crack block. And then you had one receiver fly up that same sideline, goes deep. Another had kind of a deep out and another one in the flat. So you got this three-level stretch, short, intermediate, and deep after the fact that we think it's a run play. So he's watching Gabriel Davis come over. He's like, okay, he stopped a little far from the formation. You're not going to crack block a defensive end who's still like four yards away. He's also kind of chill about this. Like, Gabe Davis is upright. He's not in a crouch stance. not like you're ready to hit a 300-pound dude. He goes, this is that same play. So the ball is snapped. Jabril Peppers drops into the flat, takes away the first read. Josh Allen looks to the middle of the field. And Peppers knows where this is going after this. It's going to that intermediate route, which is exactly what they want to hit after the linebackers or safeties have come up against the threat of a run. Okay, then see the guy going open in the flat and try to cover him. And then they hit right behind that, that deep out. Well, Peppers gets there first. Allen throws the ball, doesn't even see him. And so for a guy to make that turnover in that spot right away against a play that had gouged them the year before. All from film study, again, speaks to stuff that we saw early 2000s. Okay, pure, uncut, defensive dynasty stuff. 
when the offense and Brady weren't leading the way. It was plays like that that gave the Patriots an edge and allowed them a margin for error that they have so desperately needed in so many of these games. All started with Jabril Peppers. All right, real quickly on the bad. Juwan Belling, whoo, five missed tackles. And that was at a 12th hole for the team. So it's not like anyone else, you know, was completely innocent in this. Kyle Duggar had a couple. Adrian Phillips had a couple. Miles Bryant had two. So, yeah, not great for a podcaster who's been stumping for Juwan Bentley and Miles Bryant and sometimes Jelani Defy in the face of the fan base's pitchforks. Uh, but this was particularly bad for Juwan Bentley. He missed two opportunities at a sack. He allowed a long completion on that first drive. Granted, it was an extended play in the vicinity of a couple other catches. He was used as a spy. Josh Allen just didn't care. Not a good game from him. But again, we'll move on. Uh, Devontae Parker, one catch, seven, eight yards. That was it. It wasn't even that number, though, that was most damning for him. It, that number was 35. His snap count. Relative to Jalen Rager, a practice squad wide receiver, who's, yeah, first round talent, yada, yada, but only got here like a month and a half ago. Jalen played 25 and had the same number of catches as Devontae and is much faster and is a guy that offers the same theoretical potential that Devontae Parker does as a big play threat. But Parker's not been delivering on that. He hasn't topped 33 yards since the season opener. He's had one catch in each of the last two games. Jalen Rager can do that. Uh, and the Patriots apparently agree because he's playing almost the same number of snaps as Parker, who continues to not do very much with them. Game balls. Mac Jones. Easy call. Game-winning touchdown drive. No one can speak about that anymore. Signature win. Uh, you finally won a game when the defense allows 25 points or more. Hats off to you. Bill O'Brien, for all the reasons we just mentioned. Didn't talk about these two guys. Christian Barmore and Dietrich Wise got after Josh Allen. Like he was <laughs> had the cadence and making checks at the line of scrimmage in between all of those checks was throwing like yo mama jokes at them right across the line because Wise had five pressures, including a quarterback hit. Christian Barmore had four, including a sack and has some of the fastest wins one-on-one -on -one you've seen from any Patriots pass rusher all season. They dominated up front in the Patriots uh, pressure rate, which I talked last week after the Vegas game going, this is not so good. Uh, it's back to great. This was over 40%, and that was the first time we had seen that in a month. Last one, special teams. Uh, you, you know, I don't, know, don't cut the ball up, but like give pieces out. Chad Ryland, three of three, hit a 49-yard field goal. It's a windy day. Bryce Berenger, both of his punts, including a monster 64-yarder. Both of them dropped inside the 20. They won the field position battle by seven yards. When you look at the Patriots' average starting field position um, versus Buffaloes, you needed to win that battle. You did. Good job by you. Okay, what would NFL film say? This gets a lot more fun. There's no phone call from Robert Kraft, NFL film saying, oh, can we really keep this down to 30 seconds? This was pretty bad again. Uh, this clip from this week is a big old nostalgia trip. Okay, in this documentary, theoretical, hour-long fake documentary about the Patriots season. It starts Saturday at Mike Frable's induction speech because Mike Frable, first of all, is an excellent storyteller. As I mentioned, Bill Belichick, if you've seen any of the clips or even the whole ceremony, because it was indoors, got rained out. Only a few hundred people, fans were allowed to go. Uh, Bill Belichick was on his A-game storytelling. So you go from Saturday, a couple of moments then, scars there. You cut to halftime of the Vrabel speech I already mentioned. He says, don't take this place for granted. He's speaking to fans whose dynasty he knocked out with a wild card win for the Titans January 2020. It says, enjoy it. This place is special. And then NFL film says, here's why. Boom, Jabril Peppers interception. Boom, Zeke touchdown. Boom, Josh Allen sacked. And the Patriots go into halftime with their first 
lead at halftime at home in 350 days. Not since week nine of last season against the Colts had they done that. But of course, gets a little rocky. Josh Allen gets through for a touchdown. He gets through for another touchdown after a born fumble. And you got the dramatic music. You get the zoom in on Mac Jones's face, his discussion with Bill Belichick and Bill O'Brien, all the nostalgia, what's going to come up, all that old dynasty magic. And there goes Mac Jones to Stevenson, 34-yarder. We're absolutely skipping the flag that got picked up on the play for David Andrews, which was a good decision to pick up that flag, by the way. You go to third and eight. He hits Hunter Henry over the middle while taking a hit. Again, better play under pressure and in the face of pressure. And then you get close to the goal line. You skip the overthrow to DeMario Douglas. Hit Mike Yusicki. Whatever the hell kind of dance Mac Jones was doing, uh, they get to that in the locker room, the speech, the joy, all that stuff comes out and captures what we talked about at the beginning because that's what kind of game it was. That's what it felt like is, uh, as I wrote my column, Springsteen's Glory Days was playing. It was a big old nostalgia trip. That's how it felt watching that game. And NFL Films, of course, propaganda machine that it is, uh, is going to do a great job of that. All right. On to Belichick's contract. So I want to say this on the front end, not because I believe there are a lot of you watching this podcast, especially now, whatever it is, 20 minutes into me talking to myself, that, that think I want Belichick fired, or I'm hoping for it, or I don't want him to be fired, because I'm not rooting for anything. Again, I, this is year six for me on the beat. The press conference stuff doesn't matter. I know what's coming. I know how he's going to answer certain things. I generally know how he's going to be. I'm just here still, and will always be, for where football and interesting intersect. Okay, so whether Belichick gets fired or not, like there's going to be some interesting around this franchise, whether it's a coaching search or one of the greatest main characters in NFL history is here. That's fine. And as of Monday, October 23rd, just as I said, Friday of last week, I do think it'll be his last year. Okay, I could be wrong. Let's see. Either way, I'm good. Now, on Sunday morning, a lot of you fell on the other side of good when it was reported by NFL Network's Ian Rappaport that Belichick had gotten a, quote, lucrative multi-year deal, end quote, okay? And that was the extent of it, you know? Ian spent a lot of time talking about Belichick's contract is not typically known. He didn't offer many details. Today, Monday, he reiterated that report, saying that contractually, doing a lot of heavy lifting there, Belichick was locked up, and he added this tidbit, for several years, but no mention of money, no mention of fine language, or print, or anything else. And as always with contracts, especially for those of you listening, dating back to free agency, you know that the fine print, the details matter a whole lot more than the headline, okay? And the less specific a headline is, the more possibilities there are to explore. So, okay, Belichick signed something this offseason, okay? And according to the headline at NFL.com, he is, quote, unlikely to be fired this year. But if that multi-year deal runs through 2024 or 2025, or if it runs through 2028, how do you feel? I would think pretty differently if the guy is signed through potentially the next presidential election. I'm not talking about next year, but 2028 versus maybe next season, because this could still be a multi-year deal if it's just through 2024. Okay, now what about this? If the language stipulates in this contract, the Belichick must go seven and 10 or six and 11 to keep his job or trigger some big bonus or guaranteed money. How do you feel about that contract now? I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. 
This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Okay. What if his contract, as I've heard from someone, rolled over every single year anyway, effectively meaning he never was going to enter a contract year. So basically every season... He's on a multi-year deal just to ensure that he's here and that he's happy because, of course, you would want that with the greatest coach of all time. Do you feel very differently then about this new deal that's multi-year and lucrative? Yeah, probably a whole lot because the initial report made it sound like Belichick is guaranteed to be here. They're going to rebuild. He's going to oversee it. He's going to execute it. But all of the things I just listed could very well be true. And suddenly you and I feel very differently about a multi-year lucrative deal because you don't know if they're going to finish 7-10. and We don't know what the current state of his old contract was. We don't know if there's any other language about this or if there's a mutual option or a team option or a coach option. We don't know. And that's okay that we don't know. But we have to acknowledge that in any kind of analysis about this, right? Again, even Ian Rappaport said it. This is one of the NFL's best kept secrets. And the only thing thing he could deliver was that it was a multi-year deal. So why do we get to learn this now? Why leak this? Qui bono? Who benefits? And I say that, I ask that, knowing that I, I would hate for people, even though I understand, I know it happened, and it happened in January at the story, that people wonder about my sources and who benefits and who leaks. That I've said before, I do my best to get absolutely everything confirmed from multiple independent sources. So I know I'm telling you something. I have it hard and cold and down pat. Okay? But... When you look at this news and who it benefits, there's only one good answer to who could have leaked this. There's one person who gets to give a soft middle finger to all the media, sports talk radio, namely, calling for his job or an upset fan base that got to celebrate six Super Bowl titles in the last 25 years on his dime. That one person looks good here. That's Belichick. And I would bet a large sum of money that, of course, this came from his camp. And before anyone jumps at the... Oh, Belichick doesn't care about the media. No, 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 stop. Don't kid yourself, okay? Belichick plays the media game. He has a documented relationship with Adam Schefter. Ian Rappaport is a former Patriots writer who said at the time, I'm going to be the next Adam Schefter, and did just that, and power to him. Again, reported more news than I probably ever will. He is excellent at what he does. And you know what? Power to Belichick for having those relationships and leveraging them for inside information or trading secrets, because that's the whole business there at the top with the national insiders. I couldn't do it, wouldn't want to do it. Again, power to him, power to any of the coaches who use those relationships and the media people that make that business go. So why would Belichick leak this now if it is him? Okay. Well, aside from, again, the fan base that has seemingly turned on him, which I only know mostly from my mentions or TV or radio, um, last week there was a story in The Athletic, from Jeff Howe, friend of the podcast, who is rock solid on this stuff, just as I detailed. Multiple independent sources say this, okay, I'll run with it. If I can't, not reporting it. My word is my bond. And what he wrote was, essentially, if you don't think Robert Kraft would fire Bill Belichick, you are wrong. Now, let's ask the same question of that story. Who would benefit from that story saying Robert Kraft is willing to fire Bill Belichick? Well, of course it's Kraft, right? It's someone in and around ownership, because at that point, actually going in now close to two weeks ago, Patriots are coming off a 34-0 debacle at home. 
Okay, worst home shutout in franchise history. The fans are pissed. Patriots are headed to Vegas for it was basically must win. Okay, and when I called a point in overturn. So Kraft, of course, has that out there. And Jeff knows that rock solid. So Belichick waits after that story comes out and drops it on a Sunday. So everyone knows, but there's no midweek distraction. Okay. But it still gets a little bit of run. And then you're on to Miami. As he said to every single contract question since. And the reason I bring all of this up is not only just because, you know, like, look, the, the push and pull in the media is entertaining. It's interesting. I don't think this really matters that much. I say this to tell everyone thinking a multi-year lucrative deal suddenly guarantees anything. No, it does not. To me, this hasn't changed much, if anything at all, because what matters is what Kraft believes and is willing to act on. And what I believe is that Kraft cannot possibly ignore what his eyes tell him. 27 and 31 since Tom Brady left, largely this season, even including Sunday's fantastic win over the Bills, an undisciplined team that has instant deficits, a quarterback that's regressed, a front office that's failed to take advantage of his cheap cost control rookie contract. He cannot ignore what his ears tell him. An angry fan base, a media that decries Robert Kraft is being cheap, which Tommy Curran told us last week. He absolutely hates. Okay. And if you're of the Felger and Mass persuasion and you think Kraft is cheap and Belichick will be here because of the contract, hell, we'll find out. It's just hard to imagine that this team rises above something like seven and 10, which would mean finishing five and five or even six and 11. You can go four and six, at which point, if you're an NFL owner and you have a GM or a coach that oversaw a team win 45% of its games over a four year stretch and has one playoff appearance in that time and zero playoff wins in the last five years, how do you keep that coach or that GM? And when that person is both the coach and the GM, how do you not accept that change, particularly when Kraft? initiated the changes to the offensive coaching staff this past winter. I don't know. Because at the end of the day, NFL teams and owners tear up coaches' contracts every single year. They pay them out, send the coaches on their way. It's the same thing they do with players. They pay out any guaranteed money left, if there is some, and it's gone. Just like the player who signed a four-year, $100 million contract. Gone after two years, okay? No penalty. It's the fine print that matters most there. How much guaranteed money do you have in year three? Oh, none? Okay, let's cut him. He sucks. That's it. You wash your hands of this. And we'll dismount on this because Adam Schefter, as I mentioned, has a documented relationship with Bill Belichick and people who get to that stratosphere of reporting and these national insiders. There's a lot of information going back and forth. And you also speak to people at the ownership level. And this is what Adam Schefter had to say on the Pat McAfee show. Quote, I don't believe a deal now has any bearing on Belichick's future going forward. I really don't. Dot, dot, dot. I don't care if Bill Belichick has a year left, three years left, five years left. It doesn't matter. To me, they're going to assess that situation on a year-to-year -year basis and figure out what's best for both of them. Okay, so last episode, I went on record and said, I think it's likely that this is Belichick last year. I could be wrong. I don't know, man. We're not even halfway through the season. Is it a trade? Do they mutually part ways? Is he fired? We'll see. But as far as this report goes, or Belichick's contract, I know from people I texted today, they're not texting a whole lot about it. They're worried first and foremost about their jobs. There's an urgency there. There's an idea that they could be cleaned out. And if people underneath Belichick are going, as they did last year, there's a good chance he could be too. But it all depends on what happens next.
and what Kraft is willing to do in response to that. To which I say, I don't know, but I don't think this news, just like Adam Schefter doesn't think this news, changes much of what we've already known and seen from Belichick and this team. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, Everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Whew. All right, back to the fun. <laughs> mailbag. Uh, we have a lot of diehards, uh, regulars, if this was a bar in the mailbag, always happy to serve those folks. But we start with the newbie, Bubba. Actually, I said this is not going to be so happy. Bubba wants to know, how do we... How does the Patriots unload Parker and Juju? Uh, yeah, that's a tricky one. So Parker, or the short answer is this, because I stick his short answers. The best option is to trade them next summer. If you're trying to get rid of these receivers ASAP, I'm not saying you should, but obviously these contracts don't look very good. Next year in a late round kind of pick swap. You know, it's very in vogue right now in the NFL. I don't want this player. You want him? You don't want to give me anything? Okay. I'll give you a seventh. You give me a six. And in this instance, maybe the Patriots giving up the better draft pick just to offload the contract. But starting with Parker, he's guaranteed $3.19 million next season. Okay. And they take a bigger hit because of a prorated bonus that they got to spread out when they signed a new deal back in June over multiple years. So if you cut him this spring, it's not only the $3.19 million that he's guaranteed. And then you would have to pay him out as we just discussed is that you would take on $6.3 million in dead money. It's not good. Uh, it's palatable to some teams, though most of those teams that take that kind of dead cap hit are rebuilding. Now, if you cut them after June 1st, it does go down to $4.76 million due to some rule that we don't need to get into in the CBA. But if you trade him after June 1st, as I suggested, you could save $4 million in cap hit and or save $4 million in cap space and take a much smaller cap hit, Okay. So that's, if you're really looking to offset and ship out Devontae Parker, that's what you would do. Juju, just, you're, man, you are not getting out of this, this offseason, okay? It's, it's totally prohibitive to cut or trade him in this spring. If you cut him after June 1st, if you really want me to go through this, $9.6 million in dead money. If you trade him after June 1st, you do create $8 million in space and have $2.6 million in dead money. Do you just straight up have to attach a pick? To that, as a salary dump, I don't know. We're going to find out a lot more about Juju's health and knee coming up next week because he was out against the Bills, but should be recovered from a concussion, I would imagine, now after two weeks, uh, heading down to Miami as Demario Douglas comes on. How much can they do? I'm not sure. The knee, though, is not going to get any better. And so you would think his performance would stay where it is, which is, of course, unacceptable. But given his contract, uh, again, you're waiting to trade either of these guys, but especially Juju until next summer. 
Corey is asking, quote, if the Patriots pull an upset against Miami, as I said last week, I think this could happen. Could they be buyers at the trade deadline? Quote, the schedule is so soft after Miami, they could go on a nice run. I doubt it. I'm sorry. Three and five is three and five. I do think, though, that, you know, as we discussed with Tom Curran last week, Belichick could or would talk himself into this. The thing is, even at that point, what he would be swinging for is not much. I think of Isaiah Ford. Okay, this was middle of the 2020 season, COVID. They acquire Ford, who was the bottom of the Dolphins depth chart for probably a late round pick spot. He comes in, acquires no stats. Okay, that was a team that needed receivers as badly as any in the league that year. And Ford did nothing. So if they're going to go bargain shopping, as they typically do, I mean, you got Demario Douglas. They're still trying to make Taekwon Thornton work. You've got Kendrick Bourne, Devontae Parker's around. Your, your tight ends are playing a ton of snaps. I don't think it's going to happen. And it's not only that, okay, hey, you're three and five. You just beat Miami. You beat Buffalo. You're three and one of the division. You need to go six and three the rest of the way to have a reasonable shot at the wild card. You saw the Chiefs come into town. You go at Buffalo, at Pittsburgh. Okay. And it's not only you need to win like two or three of those games, you can't lose any of the games that you can't lose. Okay. Like you go to the Giants win. No surprises there. The Chargers come here with a more talented roster, granted, poorly coached team. Uh, and you need to beat them. So there's no margin for error at three and five, as we've been detailing when the team got to one and five is now a two and five. So I love the optimism. We're here for the happiness today. I just, I don't see it. And even if it does happen, see kind of a meaningful swing because where does that get you? I mean, Mahomes is still in the picture. Lamar Jackson's having an MVP season. Josh Allen is Josh Allen. The Dolphins are scoring more points than anybody else in football right now. Like, okay, you got in, um, but long-term might not be the best move. Ashley, cool. Hi, Andrew. What are your thoughts on Kyle Duggar and how has he been playing so far this year? I've been a little disappointed. Okay, I fully take back what I said about this being a happier mailbag. I'm sorry. These are all negative, uh, with the exception of Corey. But as far as Kyle Duggar goes, uh, yeah, it's not great. He has 42 tackles. He's missed five times. So you're looking about like 11% uh, whiff right there. Not great. Uh, he has three hurries as a pass rusher. He's got one QB hit. But two pass breakups in seven games and no interceptions. Like, I thought he took the last step last season with his playmaking. He had four turnovers. That was great. But teams are not afraid to throw at him. And right now, his biggest impact has been as a pass rusher. And even Buffalo is throwing at him in the end zone one-on-one against tight ends. Those are the type of players he's got to be able to handle one-on-one and just hasn't done it. He could have a much better second half of the season. But the Patriots, you know, as we discussed in the summer, Jen Kyle Duggar, Jen Kyle Duggar, he's going to hold out for, you know, as much money as he can, A, because you should, but B, he's 27 and he's not going to see a third contract as lucrative as this next one. Um, you know, that price tag is coming down and they're probably feeling pretty good about declining to extend him in the summer at a number of what he wanted, whatever that was, because his value in the eyes of not only their front office, but the rest of the league has come down because again, 42 tackles, two pass breakups, no sacks, no picks. That's it. That's not good enough for a guy who, you know, we thought would be paid 12, $13 million a year. HC, uh, quote, why was the coaching staff so reluctant to put Mike on one at right tackle the past few seasons? It seemed like an obvious fix. It did, didn't it, HC? So I looked this up today, and this is a story I wrote last November when we were asking the same question, because Mike Onwenu played right tackle as a rookie. Started 11 games, played in all 16, 
um, and played well, really well. Kick him into right guard. He loses his job to Ted Karras. Back then, the Patriots had Isaiah Wynn at left tackle and Trent Brown at right tackle in 2021. And he came in an injury relief and played mostly guard, but a little bit of tackle in that season. And then in 2022, Patriots are like, no, you're, you're right guard, and that's what it's going to be. And so we asked Bill Belichick in November 2022, uh, you know, Yanni Kajus has been through there, and uh, Yazir Durant didn't work out, and Connor McDermott's like around the corner, but you ever think about maybe playing the guy who played right tackle last year and did a pretty good job? And Belichick said, quote, I think he's built to play guard. He's comfortable playing guard. He has a really good skill set in there. That's where we'd like to play him, for sure. Uh, so, frankly, the Patriots just not interested. And I get why in the sense of uh, a very narrow sense, which is pass protection and his foot speed. Because when you look at the Buffalo film, I already mentioned this, he gave a one pressure. That's really good. You do that for a whole season, you're, you're making an all-pro team. He also lost multiple reps that didn't result in pressure. But if Mac Jones wasn't getting the ball out in 2.2 seconds, was going to result in a pressure. And these were speed rushes from, again, a very good defensive front. But those players are going to give Michael Wenu, big human being, 330, sometimes 340 pounds, issues at tackle when he needs to set much more quickly than he did against Buffalo. So he'll he'll do better than what you've seen from that position the last year and a half. But long-term, I agree, his best position is guard. The thing is, no one in this offense is living best-case scenario. And right now, Michael Wenu, I completely agree uh, with HCR. I assume I agree with HC that Michael Wenu at right tackle is the best move for this offense moving forward. Gary wants to know, Anthony Jennings has gone from inactive to assistional, uh, to situational player to every down guy in six weeks. Is this because of injuries or are we seeing a player develop almost overnight? Well, Gary, he is playing because of injuries. He was inactive against Miami. And then the next week against the Jets, they had a run heavy plan. They're going to play a ton of base defense, put the game on Zach Wilson's shoulder. Zach Wilson loses. And then you go to Dallas where Matt Judon tears his bicep tendon. And ever since then, as you detailed, Anthony Jennings has gone up and up and up with a snap count to the point where Patriots only had three edge defenders against Buffalo. And he was one of them. So he played almost 100% of those snaps. It was like 96% or something like that. And Anthony Jennings has, has done what you expect Anthony Jennings to do. He had a run stuff against Buffalo. is the only one the Patriots had. He had a run stuff the week before. He had a, another run stop actually against the Bills that resulted in a one-yard gain, but knife through the line, got in there. Like, that's what he does. He's sturdy. He's unspectacular. He's an edge setter. So that's a useful enough skill set in his old role as a rotational guy on the edge. But he doesn't give you any kind of burst or speed or – dynamic rush in any kind of way in obvious passing situations he's there because nobody else is and so he'll get some pressures here and there he works very hard plays very hard does his job as we've all seen but if he's playing or continues to play like he did as a rookie in 2020 granted he's a very different player this year um again 80 90 percent of the snaps that's a bad sign for this defense overall playing well but you you, you don't want him playing this much Two more. Uh, Liam, thoughts on a winning playing right tackle for the rest of the year and tagging or extending him there? Question mark. They don't have tackles for the future, but they do have guards. If he's good at right tackle, I think the market will see him as a right tackle. This is a good question. I do think we're getting a little ahead of our skis here um, because you need to see more right tackle. Again, those issues with speed, teams will target him specifically with players 
their quickest, um, you know, most twitchy players off the edge and probably win a lot of those reps. Big dude. He's smart. He's powerful. He knows himself. He knows everything about the offensive line, but there's just a clear hole in his game. Now, as far as tagging him, uh, that's a no, because the projected tag for the franchise tag is expected to come in for offensive linemen at $23 million. That is guaranteed, and that is not going to happen. So for the Patriots, I think you're happy if this works out, because then you, you know, again, no, you could bring him back. And this is a guy you could probably play a right guard or right tackle, or maybe if they lose badly in Miami and you're two and six, and there's some calls or discussions in the front office, say, Hey, we got to, uh, we, we got to sell. Every team could use a tackle. And at that point, I'm not giving up Trent Brown. It's still far and away your best tackle, but maybe this guy draws some interest from across the league. So no, I don't think they tag him. I think they should engage in conversations to extend him. He's a useful, proven, above-average starter on the offensive line. You, the New England Patriots, cannot be giving those guys away or letting them walk for nothing. Last one, Lawrence wants to know, if Bill O'Brien has the autonomy of Josh McDaniels, will we see more Pop Douglas and Devontae Parker moving forward? You'd hope so, Lawrence, right? Like uh, Parker is here to be a number one option outside. He's a two-trick pony, contested catches and downfield place and so if he's not making those explosive plays again one catch against miami i have the number or excuse me buffalo uh one catch for eight yards and jalen rager had one catch for 11 yards playing 10 fewer snaps he can't play that much because that pony's not doing any tricks he's just wasting your time and so tomorrow douglas has a lot of tricks and we saw them so I, they play different positions is the only part of this that I would caution against it. Like Jalen Rager comes in and plays that X that Devonte Parker does. You're the isolated receiver on the weak side of formations asked to win one-on-one Rager does it with speed. Uh, presumably we haven't seen a lot of Rager in the NFL uh, Parker, big body. You know, he won that one catch on a slant where he just basically boxes out the corner, makes it and keeps going. So tomorrow Douglas is not going to do that. He's pretty confined to the slot or some of these gadget plays. But I do like where your head's at of just like, hey, look, if everyone in the locker room can see this, everyone in the freaking press box can see this, that DeMario Douglas should play more, and he should, even if it's at the expense of this guy that we just extended, shouldn't it happen? And the answer is yes. Then you're just moving, though, a different receiver to X. Uh, maybe Kendrick Bourne, that you don't love him full-time there. He's more of a C, strong side of the formation, run blocks a little bit more. But, you know, at that point, Kendrick Bourne of the X isn't the worst deal in the world. If it helps you get DeMario Douglas on the field more, surrounded by either two tight ends or uh, another receiver not named Devontae Parker. So that'll do it. This might have been our longest solo episode. I hope it was as happy as I thought I was preparing for this. Great game film from Sunday, not just because the Patriots won. They had functioning offense. We had high leverage moments. One team delivered. This was it was just a good weekend of football. So, again, please read the breakdown. BostonHerald.com, plenty of gifts, stats, everything you would want to know about that game. If you've enjoyed what you've listened to, I haven't asked about this for weeks, find us on Apple, find us on Spotify. Any rating or review helps us grow. And your support the last year and a half has been amazing. So please keep it coming. We will have a guest this week to preview the Patriots trip down to Miami. Yes, again, I think they can win. Will they? We'll see. Until then, thank you all. We'll see you later this week.